You're listening to the Tri-State Community Church Podcast, a ministry of the Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church located in the greater Pittsburgh metropolitan area. For more information, including service times, please visit us at facebook.com forward slash Tri-State Reformed Church. Genesis 15, we're going to be reading the entire chapter. I don't like to say like one passage of Scripture is greater than the other passages of Scripture because they're all equally God's Word. But there are some passages and some chapters where we say, wow, and Genesis 15 is one of those chapters. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless. And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring. And behold, and I'm sorry, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. He brought him outside and said, look toward heaven and number the stars. If you're able to number them, then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out up from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for yourself, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete." When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying to your offspring, I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this great chapter. Father, we look to you, and we look to you, Father, in utter dependence upon you. Father, we ask that you would teach us, lead us and guide us. Father, you would open our hearts to this passage, open our understanding to this passage, apply it to our lives, O Father. Make application to us, change us, O Lord, Change us by way of your powerful word, which is living and active. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Uh, 
What are we to do with our doubts? We act like they don't exist. Act all holy and everything, you know. I'm not the guy that doubts. No, not me. I don't have any doubts. We just act like they don't happen. What are we to do with them? What do we do when everything seems to be at odds with the promises of God? Or what do we do when the world, the flesh, and the evil one pounce upon our convictions and assault our convictions? Because everywhere we turn, they're being assaulted, aren't they? In so many ways. What do we do with our doubts? Our text speaks to many things. My goodness, I mean, this passage of Scripture we could spend a lot of time on. Uh, we have to be selective. We only have so much time. And for that matter, our minds can only take in so much at one time anyway. But um, one of the things that this passage really speaks about is doubts. It speaks about assurance. Verses 1 through 6 speak about Abram really seeking assurance in terms of the promise of a son. And the remaining part of the chapter is the same thing, Abram seeking assurance in um, terms of the promise of the land. Um, it's about assurance. Abram is seeking assurance. Now, on Wednesday night, I shared a devotion from verse 1. And the reason I did that is because we're studying forgiveness on Wednesday nights, and some of you are away attempting a vacation. And I, I didn't want to, I didn't want to continue. I didn't want you to miss the next installment of our um, series in forgiveness. So I, I did a devotion in its place, uh, Genesis 15, verse 1, which is such a powerful little word right there. Uh, which led to, I mean, we were, I thought it would be quick, but we ended up going 20 after 8, I think, or so. And I can speak for myself. I enjoyed it much. I think others did as well. Um, but, um, and, and you know, while I'm at it, while I'm talking about Wednesday nights, let me, let me, let me just give a plug for Wednesday night. The material that I intended to share with you Wednesday night is material that I think you'll find really trans transforming. Uh, I think you'll find it really helpful, not just in terms of forgiveness, but in terms of dealing with difficult people. Um, it has really helped me, and I will say this. I, I don't want to give you the impression that the stuff I'm going to share on Wednesday night is stuff I've mastered. It's not stuff I've mastered. But it is. They, these are things I'm aiming at. And I've discovered that as I, that as I am aiming at these things, they profoundly, profoundly help. When we have to deal with bitter, with when we have to deal with people that are difficult, people have no intentions of repenting. At least that we can see, um, that's tough, and it's easy to become bitter. It's easy to become angry. It's easy to become resentful. That's all bondage, and it's the very bondage that these individuals are trapped in. But this material that I hope to share on Wednesday night, Lord willing, is really material that sets us free from that. It's freedom from that. Um, so just a plug for Wednesday night. If uh, Come out. Uh, I, I invite you to come out and join us. Back to verse 1. Moses writes after these things in verse 1. This points us to the context of the passage. After these things, we could ask very easily, after what things? Well, the things that just happened. The things that have just transpired. Well, what has just transpired? Well, Four powerful kings led by Kedorlaomer come down 
uh, into the region of, of Sodom and Gomorrah and the neighboring cities and sacked everything, carrying all the goodies off, and uh, in the process of doing that, carried Lot and his household away. And word has gotten back to Abram, and Abram goes and rescues them with only 318 men. And fur furthermore, I think it's safe for us to say that Abram was probably an unknown person in the region prior to that event. But after that event, it's hard for me to imagine he is now an unknown individual. Uh, undoubtedly, he's the talk of the whole area. So it is after these things, back to verse 1, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Now, the reader of the Old Testament will see in verse 1 things that are perhaps a little bit familiar. You might read verse 1 in terms of uh, the word of the Lord coming in a vision. We always say, well, that sounds a little bit like Ezekiel, or that sounds a little bit like Daniel. Well, yeah, it does, doesn't it? Because oftentimes the Lord spoke to the prophets by way of a vision. Well, what's actually happening here is that the Lord is uh, communicating to Abram. Uh, the, uh, Abram is about to receive a word from the Lord. Uh, here the sovereign creator of the universe actually is going to come and actually communicate to Abram. Uh, it's a breathtaking thing. Um, sometimes we might be tempted to think Boy, if I could have a vision like that, you know. That's what I really could use. I could use a, a vision like that. Now, that would get me set on course if I could have one of those, you know. Look at old Abraham. He gets one of these, and man, if I could have one of these, I'd be just tracking right along. And you can get all caught up in chasing that kind of thing, can't you? Um, you can get all caught up. But I want to point something out to you. What's Abram receiving? He's receiving a word from the Lord. What are you holding in your hands? It's not just a word of the Lord that you're holding in your hands. It's the complete Old and New Testaments that you're holding in your hands. So there's no reason to go chasing after these types of visions and experiences. And quite frankly, this is not what we find Abram doing. We don't find him chasing after these things, do we? We, we don't. I, I've known a lot of folks that over the years who are caught up in doing that, chasing supernatural experiences. And I've noticed one thing about them is not all of them, but many of them, they're not all that excited about the Bible, you know? What we need to understand is that Abram would have cherished a Bible. If he could have had a Bible, he would have cherished it. I think a lot of these prophets would have memorized it as best they could, completely. So we don't need to chase these experiences. Now, back to verse 1. Abram receives a word from the Lord. The Lord comes to Abram and says, Fear not, Abram, I am your shield your reward shall be very great. Now, Wednesday, we asked a question of the text, namely, what was Abram afraid of? What was he afraid of? Because the Lord says, fear not. And it would be an odd thing for the Lord to say, fear not, if Abram wasn't experiencing some kind of anxiety. It would be strange, wouldn't it? Like if I would say to one of you right now, well, don't be afraid. You might think to yourself, well, what makes you think I'm afraid? 
I'm not really afraid of anything. Abram obviously is afraid of something. What is it? We asked this question on Wednesday night. What's he afraid of? Well, perhaps he's afraid of old Kedar Leomer. You know, he likes his stuff. And he's been on this campaign and he's been sacking everybody, carrying off all their goodies. And Abram has just gone up with 318 men and given him a butt whipping and carried off a bunch of stuff and returned it to its rightful owners. You suppose maybe Abram might be thinking, you know, that Kedar Lahomer might be up there thinking, hey, I'm going to wrestle up some fresh troops and come down and teach Abram a lesson unless he thinks he's going to try that again. Those thoughts could certainly be going through Abram's mind. I don't think I shared this thought Wednesday night, but it's possible that Abram was worried about the neighboring cities. You might say, well, why would he be worried about the neighboring cities? Well, because they might be thinking to themselves, who is this Abram character? I mean, out of nowhere, he comes up. None of us could beat Kedar Lahomer. He whipped all of us. And this Abram, this stranger, he goes up with just a few people out of his household and he, he whips them. Should we be worried about Abram? Is he someone that we should be worried about? Abram's a very wise man. It'd be hard for me to think that he didn't have these thoughts going through his head. Or perhaps it was just the simple fact that God has come to him in a vision like this because Abram is righteous, but he's still a sinner. And we, we learn over and over again, as the prophets and as the people of God come into contact with God in various theophanies, what happens? They tremble and fear, don't they? I'm inclined to think that this anxiety is probably uh, a, a sliver of all of this going on at once. But the text that we have this morning makes it clear that there is other things that Abram is anxious about. And we'll see that as we, as we go along. Notice how Abram responds to uh, the vision in verses uh, 2 and 3. Abram's response, Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. Now, we read these words, and on the surface here, we might be tempted to think it almost sounds like Abram doesn't believe this stuff, you know? Um, doesn't sound like he believes. And we might even read these verses and think, you know, Abram sounds a little bit irreverent here. Uh, almost like he's dishonoring God. So is Abram guilty of unbelief? Is he guilty of insubordination? Is he guilty of dishonoring the Lord? The answer must be emphatically no. Must be absolutely not. And we need to remember some things here. We can't read another person's heart. We always need to remember that. We can't really know what's in another person's heart. Can we? You know, I mean, Jesus does teach us that we'll know a tree by its fruits, right? And there are situations where we do need to try to discern what's in a person's heart so that we can help them. So there are times, especially in pastoral ministry, but just in ministry in general, where we need to try to discern as best as we're able what's going on in someone else's heart. But we always need to remember we, we can never know exactly what's in another person's heart because the same Jesus that teaches us that we will know a tree by its fruit also stops the disciples whenever they offer to separate the wheat and the tares. 
So we cannot, you know, we cannot know what's in someone's heart. So we need to remember that. But secondly, we need to remember all the promises that the Lord makes to Abram, they're all predicated on a son. They're all predicated on Abram having a son. And if we want to ask the question I've been asking much of the time in our series in Genesis, where is Genesis 3.15? Namely, where is the promise of a son? Well, there it is. Abram has promised a son. Now, Abram is not getting any younger. His wife is not getting any younger. And can we fault Abram for scratching his chin here for a minute and saying, Lord, it looks like Eliezer is going to be the guy. I mean, what are you going to give me so that I can know that I'll have a son? Abram's... Abram, and also we need to understand, Abram is not simply crying out because he's childless. Like his goal is, you know, we've always wanted to have a child and we've never had a child. Sure, there's an element of that going on. But that's not, if we think that, we're missing it. Abram realizes that these promises, he realizes that the gospel rests in the fact that he has to have a child. He realizes that it's much greater than himself. So the real sting is, the, is that the whole thing's predicated on a child, and there's no child. And quite frankly, to the natural eye, this thing seems so far-fetched as not to be even believable at all. I mean, two senior citizens having a child? But Abram's not in that position. He believes the Lord can do this. But he's kind of like Mary. You know, when, when Gabriel comes to Mary and says, Behold, you're going to be with a child. How does she respond? How can this be? I'm a virgin. It's not that Mary disbelieves. She is not. You know, we, we, could, we could juxtapose Mary with Zechariah. You know, the angel comes to Zechariah. says, you know, your wife Elizabeth's going to be with a child. And he's like, say what? He doesn't believe. And, of course, he's met with some discipline for that. Mary is not. It's not that Mary doesn't believe. Mary is struggling in bewilderment to try to figure out what's going on. Abram here, he believes God, but he's struggling. There's been a long wait. You know, it's a lot of times going by here. The delay, the details. How can, and, and how can I be confident in what I'm saying is true? Well, I mean, how can I be confident that God that Abram is not dishonoring God. Abram is not or un, guilty of unbelief here. Look at verses 4 and 5. This is God's response to Abram. The Lord says, Behold, well, the text tells us, Behold, the word of the Lord came to Abram, and the Lord says, This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars. If you're able to number them, and he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And the first thing I want to point out about this is notice how gentle and fatherly God's response is here. When sinners respond to God in gross unbelief, this is not normally the response that they get. This is not normally how God responds. But God is responding to Abram. You can see how gentle and fatherly he is responding. That's because God responds this way to his struggling children. 
This is how God responds to us when we're struggling. It's not with a heavy hand. It's with gentleness and it's with love. And while open unbelief greatly irritates God, here we can see his fatherly gentleness and kindness, attention and care. It's almost as if Abram has said to the, said to the Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. I believe, help my unbelief. A person approaches the Lord with a heart that's heavy because it's struggling with the promises of God, with a heart that feels the sting of doubt or at least smells the scent of doubt, and that person calls out to God for help with the struggle, believing that they'll receive God's care, believing that they'll receive His help, believing that they'll receive His strength, that same person is not acting in unbelief, that person is acting in faith. That is an exercise of faith, not unbelief. So you see, sometimes our struggles are exercises of faith. As amazing as that is for us to try to grapple with. It's out of faith that Abram is asking these things. It's out of faith that he confesses his struggle. It's out of faith that he's confessing and humbling himself before the Lord and admitting that he's having this problem. It's out of faith that he believes the Lord can help him. Adam, Abram is struggling and he's doing all the above. Look, look at the father's response again. It's like, if you look back at these verses, it's like, it's like Abram, God comes to Abram and says, you know, Abram, you, listen, Eliezer is not going to be your heir. You're going to have a son, Abram. Come here. Let me take you by the hand. Let, let me show you something. Look up at, at the sky. You see the stars, Abram? Do you see all the stars? I've never been in the Middle East, but they say this, the, the stars are unbelievable at night. That You can look up and people have described them to me. It's like the stars are coming right down and falling on your head. And you can't count them. I mean, here in the Pittsburgh area, you never see the stars. All you see is clouds. It's always gray, although, you know, they're, they're out. There they are. Um, it was a blue sky earlier this morning. But Abram's looking up and he's seeing the stars, and God is saying, look, if you can count on them stars, you can count your children. It's actually beautiful, isn't it? Isn't it beautiful? that Abram has a father like this that would care for him? Isn't it beautiful that we have a father like this that would care for us? It gets even better. It's in the midst of this beauty where we get one of the most powerful sentences that ever been written. If you look at verse 6, this is one of the most powerful sentences that ever been written. And he, that is Abram, and Abram believed the Lord and God counted it to him as righteous. It's righteousness. That is one of the most powerful sentences that's ever been written. Paul preached this verse to plant churches all over the known world. This was the verse that Paul fought with wolves who attempted to destroy the church with. It answers the most basic question. What's the most basic question? How do we get right with God? How do we get right with God? What could be more important than, the, than answering the question, how do we get right with God? I mean, I... I, I what do we got to do? I mean, how many verses do we need to memorize? 
How many mountains do we need to climb? How many works do we need to do? What sacrificial service must we we render? What kind of act of devotion must we exercise? And if that, how often do we need to do it? How long does it need to be? When does it start? When does it stop? When can we know? These are questions that we would be asking if it weren't for verses like verse 6. We would be asking these questions and we would have no answer to them. We'd have no answer. We wouldn't know if we could be right with God. In other words, we would have no assurance. You see, this chapter is about assurance. We would have no assurance. We'd be living in fear. Was that last thing I did good enough? Was the thing I'm thinking about doing now good enough? Did I pray long enough? Am I reading my Bible enough? Am I... Oh, how do we get right with God? How did Abram get right with God? He believed Him. He believed Him. Say what? He believed Him. You mean to tell me that Abram got right with God by believing Him? Yeah. Because it changed his life. It totally transformed his life. This trust is never alone. We're saved by faith. We're not saved by a faith that's alone. It's always going to be accompanied with a change. The change varies in its degrees from one person to another. It varies in seasons. Sometimes we change quickly and we change radically. Sometimes our change is slow. Sometimes the change is so slow, we can't really put our finger on when we change. But if we believe God, We've changed. We've changed. So you see, there's no question about Abram here. He's a true believer. He's not acting in a dishonoring way towards God. He's not acting in unbelief. That's why God doesn't discipline him. He's a believer. He's a mighty believer. He went up and fought that king with only 318 people. What possessed him to do that? Faith. He had to have had marching orders, or he never went up there to do that. He's a believer. He's a strong believer. And he has doubts. Say what? He has doubts. What'd you say? I said he has doubts. Those things that we don't want to talk about. He has these doubts. If Abram is struggling, don't be surprised if you find yourself struggling once in a while. And I shouldn't be surprised if I find myself struggling once in a while because here we see Abram struggling. Mm. You know, you know one of the beautiful things about what the Lord does and His fatherly care of Abram? He's so brilliant. Our Father's so brilliant. He makes use of the beauty of those stars. When he brings Abram out and he says, listen, look up. Look up, what do you see? See the stars? Count them. If you can count them, so can you count your offspring. You know what Abram's able to do for the rest of his walk here on this earth every single night? When he has doubts, all he has to do, look up. Isn't that brilliant? That's pastoral ministry that's off the charts. 
That's our Father. That's what our Father is like. We truly can bring our cares to Him because He will greet us in the same way, receive us in the same way. What a comfort to a struggling soul. In verse 7, the Father's gentle care continues. Presumably, he's under these brilliant stars, the Father continues to comfort Abram. He says, I'm the Lord who brought you out, of, out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. Now, how is that a comfort to Abram? How is it a comfort to Abram for the Lord simply to say, listen, I'm the Lord that, that brought you out of, out of Babylon, in essence. How's that a comfort? Well, it's a comfort this way that the Lord is showing Abram that, listen, I didn't call you out of Babylon and bring you down into the desert so that I could just forget about you. <laughs> that would be comforting because I think there's probably a lot of times where Abram's down in the desert like, Lord, uh, what's next? Wouldn't it feel like God kind of forgot about you? Paul, he says the same thing to us when he says, he who began a good work and you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. God is saying to Abram, listen, this thing I started with you, I'm going to bring the completion. I'm faithful and I don't change. That's the same message Paul gives us. He who began a work in you. Philippians 1.6. He who began a work, a good work in you, will bring it to completion in the day of Jesus Christ. He didn't call us here this morning to leave us here and forget about us. Isn't that wonderful news? Sometimes it seems maybe like he has forgot about us. Does this set Abram at ease? No. Look at verse 8. He's still anxious. Oh, Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess the land? Again, on the surface, it sounds like unbelief. But Abram, you see now, can you see now he's laying his heart out before the Lord? He's laying his heart out. It's an act of faith. Again, we know Abram is not being a stubborn unbeliever here. No, he's a struggling believer. And notice how the Lord responds to Abram. In verse 9, the Lord calls Abram to gather up several types of animals. He said, gather these animals up, slaughter them, cut them in pieces, lay, lay the pieces against each other. In other words, lay... Lay, lay pieces on the left and lay pieces on the right with a path in the middle is, what, is what's to be done. And, and we're going to ask ourselves, we look at this and this sounds really strange, and we might ask ourselves, how is this going to give Abram assurance? Oh boy, this gives him more assurance than anything else that's been said. One thing the ancients knew, and one thing that would have been familiar to Abram is the act of cutting a covenant the act of cutting these animals apart and putting a half on each side. It was done very typically when a nation conquered another nation. The conquering nation became the overlord. The conquered nation became the vassal. The overlord would set stipulations for the vassal, and a ceremony would be enacted. And the vassal would say, okay, I agree to these uh, particular uh, conditions, and I will pass between the halves, and in my passing between the halves, what I am saying is that if I fail to meet these conditions, may I be like these animals. May I be like these animals. Now, the Lord does something that is unimaginable. 
If God tells us that He's going to do something, that should be enough for us. That should be enough for every creature in the cosmos. Why? Because God said He's going to do it. If He said He's going to do it, He's going to do it. But for the sake of His struggling child, God cuts a covenant with Abram. If you look at verse 17, when the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. Now what's going on? The smoking fire pot and the flaming torch is the presence of God. God is passing between the pieces. I can't imagine what Abram was experiencing when he saw that because he would have understood what that meant. God is saying, Abram, if I don't keep my promises, shall I be like these pieces? Wow. That's amazing. He doesn't just do that for Abram. He does it for us. This is the covenant of grace. You hear about covenants, you know? And you hear about covenants. And you hear, I remember studying covenants all the way back in Geneva College, studying covenants and thinking, these guys are always going on about covenants. Well, I don't get the covenant thing. Until one day, it dawned on me. Do you know what God's answer is to our assurance problem? It's the covenant. It's a covenant. God doesn't need to make a covenant. His handshake is plenty. You don't need to get it in writing with God. Problem's not on his side. This is all for us. It's all for us. Something else I want you to notice here too. Notice that Abram never passes between the animals. How come? It's because Abram's salvation doesn't have anything to do with them. Say what? <laughs> His salvation doesn't have anything to do with him. And your salvation doesn't have anything to do with you. And my salvation doesn't have anything to do with me. God intruded in my life, changed my heart. I've re since responded by that change in following Him. But I'm not in covenant with God because I follow Him. I'm in covenant God with God because He changed me. My following is simply a response to what He has done in Christ Jesus. Done long before I was ever born. That's amazing, isn't it? Sometimes some people will say we're arrogant because we have assurance. If 
my assurance is based on my performance that I am. I, I would concede, yeah, you know, you're right. I am being arrogant. But my assurance is not based on me. I know me too well. My wife is going, uh-huh. I noticed her head bobbing up and down. Uh-huh, I know him too. <laughs> I can know that I'm saved because of Christ. I didn't have to pass between the animals. God did that. In conclusion, let me recap just three things here. I probably put all this together. The title of the sermon is, I believe, help my belief, help my help. I believe, help my, help my unbelief. You know, we might think of Peter maybe. You know, the disciples go across the Sea of Galilee and they get in a little storm. Jesus is on the other side. He, he, he sends them off alone. He, he wants to spend a, some time in prayer alone. He sends his disciples off. They get in a storm. They get in some bad weather. Suddenly they see Jesus following behind and he isn't in a boat. He's on foot. He's on the Sea of Galilee on foot. And they're scared. <laughs> and he says, don't, don't be afraid. It's, it's, it's me. And of course, Peter can't keep his mouth shut. He's like, if it's you, command me to come out of the boat and join you. All right, Peter, come on. And Peter gets out of the boat and he starts toward Jesus. And then what happens? He starts to sink. Is Peter an unbeliever? My heavens, no. If he's an unbeliever, you wouldn't have been able to throw him out of the boat. If Jesus, if Jesus said, come on, well, come on out. He'd be like, you kidding me, man? No way. I'm a fisherman. I know the danger of this sea. I'm not getting out of this boat. Peter gets out. And obviously an act of faith to get out. The Lord commands him to come and he comes. You see? Isn't that what happened to all of us? He says, come to me. What did you do? If you're in, if you're in Christ, you came to him. And it went great for a few steps. Then you started to sink. Are you an unbeliever for that? No. No, it's just, it's just what happens, isn't it? Did Peter drown? Why not? Because of this hand of the Lord Jesus. He reached out and he took him. I wonder what that handshake was like. He took him and he safely put him in the boat. We don't need to hide our doubts from the Lord. Cast your cares upon him. Those doubts, when you find yourself sinking, cast those cares upon the Lord. And you also, and I also, will receive the same gentle care that we see Abram receiving. We will receive the same gentle care that we see Peter receiving and the same gentle care that we see Mary receiving. It'll be the same. Secondly, run to the word of the Lord. Take your cares to the promises of God's word. Look at his faithfulness. Consider his faithfulness. 
And third, embrace that covenant. Look at that. That's why I wanted to include verse 17 in our Scripture memory verse this morning. Look at that covenant. Who passes between the halves? It's the Lord. Embrace that covenant. His promise is a yes. And all of the promises have their yes in Christ Jesus. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord. And we praise you, Father. For these words that are so hard to even communicate without losing composure. Father, we thank you and praise you. Your fatherly care. Your, I don't know how to put it even to words. That you would submit yourself to a covenant like this. That you would state to the whole cosmos that, listen, if I don't keep my promises with Abram, who is the father of the faithful, and in essence, if I don't keep my promises with everyone who has faith, let me be like those animals. Father, that's amazing. It's amazing how you stoop down to meet us in our weaknesses. Father, transform us by this truth, this gospel truth. For, oh Lord, you have kept your promise, sending your own Son, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, to die on our cross in our place. You've kept those promises, all your promises. They have their yes in Jesus. Oh Lord, we believe. Help our unbelief. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.